Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of Jackman Radio. Very excited to be joined by a longtime friend of the show, political commentator, independent researcher, and Jesse Ventura Wrangler, Tyrell Ventura. Tyrell, how you doing today, man? I am great, Mike and Eric. It's a pleasure to see your smiling faces, man. It's been far too long since I've come on your show, but I'm always I've always been a big fan of uh, of what you guys are up to, and 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 you're always entertaining and thoughtful, and and uh, you do good stuff. So it's it's truly thank you for having me on, and I love your stove. I've never got to see your 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 kitchen before, mate. Mike, this is incredible. I love oh, it. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. Yeah, it's Soviet era. You know, I figured that was a uh... You're going for That's a in vote, yeah. yeah, yeah, I'm in Putin's pub, so it's mm. it's uh, it's kind of throwback. But uh, yeah, we were just talking before we came on air, and I, I think the last time you came on was 2016, mm. um, and before that was 2015. Yeah, and so this is your third appearance. So this is this is uh, it's like one Saturday more. Night Live. It's like hosting Saturday Night Live. So this is my yeah. third. Who has the record? Uh, probably Reed Coverdale at this point. Okay, gotcha. Our, our, our buddy. Uh, I don't know if you're familiar with Nationalist Capitalist. He Oh, hosts that podcast and okay. he's crushing it in the libertarian world and yeah 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 he, well, he's well, liberty's truck driver <laughs> listen so this is the third time we've had tyrell on but we had jesse on twice that's true that's so he true. might actually be number two mm. mm-hmm. so got the record yeah because <laughs> wow. we did a that's... phone interview with jesse and then i rented a bar in brooklyn when he was promoting the marijuana manifesto oh yeah and i did yeah, a yeah, filmed yeah. interview with him um oh at beautiful nighthawk cinema in brooklyn and uh that was I maintained one of the most epic hours of my life and one of the most surreal and cool experiences. Oh, that's fantastic. Fantastic had. stuff, man. It's a great it's, book. It's a really good yeah, book. Yeah, no, the, the manifesto was awesome. And, a lot of love to Jen Hobbs, too, on that, his, his Jen, co-author. Jen Hobbs, uh, yeah. she helped me put that together, and she mm-hmm. ran point on it, and she showed up, and she was doing some Jesse wrangling that day because I brought Dylan Avery from Loose oh, yeah, 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 yeah. To, to the shoot, and afterwards, mm-hmm. there's a great moment where I introduced Dylan to your dad, and I go, uh, Governor, this is uh, Dylan Avery, the creator and director of Loose Change. And Jesse goes, you are? He goes, you ruined my fucking life. That's true. No. <laughs> and then just, you know, proceeds to tell him how after he watched Loose Change, you know, we've all heard the story, how he just yeah. kind of was like, Whoa. Well, it, 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 it was fun because I I, uh, I I became good friends with Dylan Avery when I was living in Los Angeles. He had moved out there for, I, I don't know if he's still yeah. out there or not, but he's uh, uh, a great filmmaker. You know, beyond beyond the the work with Loose Change, which he's kind of most known as, he just had a film called Asteroid come out, um, and and Dylan's a, a, a fantastically creative and wonderful filmmaker and a, and a good person. You know, yeah, he is. He just came to visit us in New Hampshire. Uh, what was that, Mike? A few months ago? Uh, back in May, yeah. Back in and May, we had many, many beers. <laughs> <laughs> we love yeah. you, Dylan. We love you, baby. I was uh, so I was traveling recently, Tyrell, and you know, mm. part of the reason, obviously, just to chat with you and catch up. I also want to promote the new endeavor that you have going uh, with the governor, which is the the new podcast. And you guys are on Substack now. Yes. And I was delighted yes. that that all kind of dropped when I was just doing some traveling recently to Houston, Texas. Mm. So I was able to queue up some of your stuff and listen to you guys. And it's it's kind of like a um, fireside chat that you have going and then there's some guests that come on and yeah kind of music so yeah talk a little bit about that it's it's a fun project you know after after the 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 ending of of our stints at rt america you know we were kind of i'd moved back to minnesota the year prior um and so we were trying to find uh something interesting and and exciting to do and 
honestly, you know, Substack came onto our radar. Uh, I, I, I have a good relationship with Matt Taibbi um, and oh, yeah. the, the journalist over there. And you know, I saw the work that Matt was doing there. And so we started talking to Substack and, and it's a, it's an, it's a great platform, not just for political commentary. I mean, they have everything on there. It's not, you know, I think it, it, it's kind of known at least in the political circles for just the kind of the, you know, Greenwald and Taibbi and, and other really talented folks on there. Um, but it's also, I mean, it, it's expansive and like the different subjects that you can find and get lost in the weeds there. And, and, and it's a really great platform. And, and one of the things that appealed to me and Jesse the most about Substack was the fact that they allow us to not only do, you know, audio podcasts, things like that, but it also allows us to do the written articles, which is kind of where it's, it was kind of formed out of, um, and, you know, where Substack kind of came first was, you know, with written content, but allows us to do written content in the form of articles and it allows us to do video content as well. And so to find a space where you can do all three that kind of hits both me and Jesse's skill set so nicely uh, in, in the world of, of commentary and, and, and things like that um, is rare. And uh, and they're and they're a very, you know, they're very First Amendment oriented you know they're not trying to tell you what to say or what you can or can't put on your own publication um they allow all different thoughts of, of political spectrum and 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 it, it just it, it it just was a perfect fit for me and jesse uh and and it's given me the great honor of being able to work with my dad uh you know shoulder to shoulder uh which i haven't been able to do since the conspiracy theory days because even when we were at rt it was two separate shows you know, so I never really interacted with my dad uh, all that much because he was up here in Minneapolis and I was in D.C. doing watching the Hawks. Uh, so the great thing about uh, Substack is it's really a, Jesse's 71 years old now and uh, I'm in my early 40s. And so it's really nice for me after 20 years away to kind of come back and, and, and work with my dad and, and, you know, have fun with him. And, and uh, it, it's been a it's been a true, true pleasure. And it's 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 great getting the subscriptions and, and getting the, the, the fan feedback and reading the comments underneath the articles. And, you know, it, it's just been a true blessing uh, moving over to Substack. Uh, I can honestly say that. Yeah. And, and I wanted to uh, bring up what happened with RT. I mean, that was crazy seeing how basically. You know, I remember talking to you in March or April of 2015 when you were kind of first getting the show going, or pretty yeah. early on, and down in D.C. when I was visiting, and I interviewed you in my in my friend's apartment basement. That's right, I remember that. Yeah, you, you remember you, you drove up in your car and you were kind of looking at the uh, the neighborhood in the area. He's like, "You're not going to whack." You were like, "You're not going to whack me, are you?" <laughs> well, I didn't I really like, know just, you guys at that. Just point. right down here, Tyrell. This is nice. Start working, you know. You start working, and and you're associated with the Russians, and you're living in D.C. And I was fairly new out there. I didn't know what to expect. All of a sudden, a guy meets me on a corner and says, "Here, come down into this basement." I'm like, "Ooh." The hell's about to go down here. <laughs> it was classic. I know it was like a Goodfellas moment. It was. It was. It was, it was like, uh oh, is this the point? Is this the part where they asked me to to, to be a, a secret agent, a double agent, or what the hell it would be? <laughs> Vladimir's going to come out. He's going to come out with the implants for your uh, for your uh, frontal lobe, like a maturing candidate. Yeah, it'll but, be uh, Vladimir. Remember, and, it'll be Vladimir and Pelosi, and then like everyone's like, "Ooh, wow! I didn't know that we were that connected." In no, I'm dead. and Jill Stein, yeah, and it's Jill triple, Stein, yeah, all three, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Triple, it's all right. work. <laughs> yeah, it's psyop upon psyop, Tyrell. Mm -hmm. But um, <laughs> yeah, I remember, man, when you were starting watching the Hawks getting it off the ground, and I got to say, um, you know, just over the years, I always enjoyed watching that show. And, um, you know, you told me back then that you you did have full editorial control, yes. and it seems like you did the whole time. 
And um, obviously, everything this year has been crazy with 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 what's been going on. So it has did, been. It has. What been. kind of warning did you get? I mean, were you I drawing things any down anyways, or just no? There just was like no, that? no warning whatsoever. I mean, you know, those last two weeks, you definitely saw the pushback. Uh, you know, with what happened with RT. Uh, I think it was in in Europe or Germany or one of the one of the other RT kind of outlets uh, got shut or got kind of shut down or censored or whatever. And then you know, when when I saw that we had they had you know, when direct TV took us off, uh, their programming list, uh, you kind of suddenly were like, Hmm, but no, the, the closing of RT America was not something that we were made aware of all of us who worked there. Uh, it just kind of happened one day. Uh, I was in Minnesota. So, I mean, I don't, I can't speak for, for the office headquarters in DC. I mean, maybe they knew, I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, it kind of came out of the blue. I mean, realistically, me and Jesse were, and, and Chris Hedges were all very anti this invasion. Uh, we were we were very very against and, and what what Russia was doing with this because when you you know we felt they're kind of playing into the into exactly what that's has been said about them over the years, you know, and and and. You know, prior to that, they always knew how to kind of troll the U.S. really well or troll our foreign policy really well to point out the hypocrisy of it and things like that. And so it was it's kind of a shock to see this. And even even leading up to it, I, I was vehemently kind of speaking out on the channel against any military operation there because I knew that it would only in, inflame everything and, and, you know, innocent people were going to die. Uh, and I stood up to the invasion of Iraq. I'm against all invasions, whether it's Iraq or Yemen or, or, or Ukraine. Um, you know, I, I don't like war. I've always been wildly against it. I think it's the 21st goddamn century. I think we can find better ways to solve our differences than through military combat and invasions. And so we were, me and Jesse, and, and I believe Chris Hedges as well, uh, we're all kind of speaking out against it. So how, while they never, ever told me what to say or how to say it or what to report on or what not to report on. I had, I had reams of journalistic freedom there. Uh, after that war started and prior to RT America shutting down, I know that, you know, I was kind of going, hmm, I wonder if they'll let me stay on here. Like even if RT America had kept going, I'm kind of like, I wonder if they'll let me and Jesse and Hedges stay on, especially given like the laws that were passed in Russia about like, media not being able from what we know I, you know media not being able to comment i mean i it's all secondhand information i don't know if it's true or not but um about media not being allowed to kind of call out the, the idiocy of this invasion um you know so who knows we could have been taken off the air me and jesse and probably hedges and anyone else who spoke out against it could have been removed anyway um but it was a truly i believe that the people should allow to be to hear all uh sides of a story uh even if, even if you know that one side of the story is bullshit you know you still should be a, you still should have the ability to hear it um because it's when communication dies uh that that's when that's when wars start and and that's when tensions inflame and that's when people can be easily led to do something that they might normally be against uh, is when you when you shut out opposing viewpoints, and so I, I I was very much against the kind of pseudo banning of RT that took place right before in those kind of weeks leading up. Um, 
to RT America ending. Uh, so you know, it was a it was a, a mess on all on all levels. And you know, <laughs> looking back now, I'm 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 glad I moved on to Substack because while I had journalistic freedom there, uh, Substack has allowed me to really kind of go in a lot of different directions that I couldn't generally do with the show. I mean, I could, but it didn't really fit in the context of the show or the format of the show. You know, you only have like. Third, you know, 28 minutes, 27 minutes, and and in those 27 minutes, you're hitting like multiple stories to where now Substack allows me to really kind of, you know, when we sit down to do a podcast with someone, I can interview them for a half hour, hour, and really get into interesting subjects that, you know, normally on television, you only got maybe a 10 minute, five, you know, seven minute window to kind of capture a story, whereas is Substack kind of allows a little more breathing room and, and allows you to really kind of dig into stuff and, and uh, you can swear. I, you know, <laughs> you know whatever but, you want. yeah, you know, so, so it's, it's, you know, all things must come to an end. So, uh, I think my only, uh, on a profet on a, on a journalistic, I guess, I mean, I never called myself a journalist when I, when I worked there because I, my job was more to find great journalism and give it a platform. You know, I, I thought of myself more as that, uh, more of a political commentator and someone who will find great articles and say, oh, you know what, let me get the activist this article's about, or let me get the writer who wrote this, or let's talk about this subject that, that nobody else wants to talk about. Um, it allowed me to kind of have a platform to do that and allowed me to give other people platforms. So the thing that hurt most is a few days after RT closed, uh, YouTube pretty much erased uh, everything that we had ever done uh, that RT America had ever done, um, uh, and everything that watching the Hawks had done. And we had finished with about 15, 1600 shows. I want to say when you're all said and done. And, and that didn't hurt me. Uh, I didn't feel bad because any, look, we live in a digital era and whether it's, we don't like what you're saying, we'll take it off a platform or oops, somebody hit the wrong keystroke and that hard drive that contained everything that we had just done digitally disappeared, you know, it, no matter where, however that happens, um, that's the dangers of living in digital times when there's no hard copies of things. Right. You know, I mean, we've all kind of experienced that. You know, oh shit, I just formatted my hard drive. Oh damn. You know, toast. Yeah. Aren't you saying it exists in Kyrgyzstan now or something? There's like a copy of it somewhere, <laughs> like under a. Uh... Maybe, maybe I don't know. It depends on like where YouTube decided to like allow it to still be seen. Maybe Somalia or something. I don't know. But um, you know, you, you really weren't afraid to cover the real stories. And, no, and, um, and I would argue that of course it's it's RT America, just like BBC is. Has yeah. British interests and American media companies have American interests, so it's kind it of a ludicrous argument. Yeah, and and but as I was saying, the thing that actually hurt me more wasn't the loss of my own work; it was more the fact that we gave uh, a lot of people, a lot of really incredible activists and journalists and and people that normally don't get to have a platform. We were able to give them that platform, and. The fact now that those really good people from professors to journalists to activists to like, you know, all sorts of different types of people, uh, the fact that they can't go back up and see those interviews that they were a part of or, or be able to kind of point to that, um, you know, that that makes me sad. You know, that that's the thing, the thing that kind of got me that I was like, ah, I wish I, you know, that was that shouldn't have happened that way. You know? Yeah. And Abby Martin lost got all their stuff, obviously, too, breaking the set and everything she had done and yeah yeah it's it's crazy man we the, the brave new world 1984 is playing out in real time for us but 
we can't be deterred by it. And we're no. gonna, as independent, you know, even though we don't have millions of people watching, you still have an impact. Mm -hmm. And for me, when I just get like a random DM or a message from someone, whether it's here in America or another country saying, dude, I watched an interview you did. I never heard of that guy before. I never heard of that story before. That's, you know, that's really like at the core of why what inspires me and motivates me to keep going. Exactly. And, and you know, those letters that you'd get uh, from folks saying, hey, I never looked at this issue. I never thought about women's rights the way uh, until, you know, your co-host Tabitha Wallace explained it. You know, look, you know, there was all sorts of those things that when you when you saw the effect you had on people to kind of change their thinking a little bit, because, look, I, I always went into it. I, I don't want people I didn't want people to think like me. That's not what the goal of watching the Hawks was. It's not the goal of why I do the, the commentary that I do. All I want to do ultimately is just make people think. You don't have to agree yeah. with me. You don't have, you don't, you know, we could be completely on the other sides of the political spectrum on something, but at least I, I, I just want to make you think and, and, and challenge you um, or introduce you to something that you never, that you never thought about before or heard about before. Exactly. Um, and to me, that's where, that's where the real, juice of it is it, it's you know i think far too often especially in media today whether it's mainstream or independent or that we get far too hung up on this idea of, of myself or us versus them uh we we lose the idea that we're we're here to teach each other and learn from each other uh doesn't mean you have to accept you know everything doesn't you know and if you don't want to hear something don't hear it you know of course like uh but You've got to be able to have discourse. You've got to be able to to allow yourself to to to. I think you owe it to yourselves as human beings uh, to step back and say, "Hey, you know, I'm going to listen to this thing. I might not agree with it, but damn, I'm going to listen to it because if I don't, then I'm I'm denying myself a, a fully rounded education or a fully rounded understanding of issues or why people believe what they believe and and things of that nature." Yeah, absolutely. I mean, RT is, uh, I heard Abby Martin and Abby Martin is where I heard about John Kiriakou for the first time. And I know you mm -hmm. guys just had him on, just yeah. chatted with him off the heels of his trip to the kingdom. And uh, it just, it always comes full circle. Back in March, I went to a conference at the press club in DC and I got to hang out with John Kiriakou and Roger Waters. From oh, Pink fun. Florida. Yeah. Yeah. Great I found, found myself taking a picture of those two guys together oh. for, for John. And that's if you put yourself out there, man, and you just keep pressing forward with what you believe is right and what you feel is right. Cool things happen. You oh, meet yeah. really interesting people and you learn and, a lot. A lot of you stuff. know, on that on the censorship thing, too, it, it, it is a major issue that we're facing today. Uh, you know, especially when you when you see a conglomeration of information. I mean, we saw kind of a painting on the wall as, as more and more news agencies got bought up by like one or two or three companies. Uh, you knew that the internet was going to eventually go there at some point where it's, you know, it's really only going to be about one or two or three companies because that's just the nature of, of this version of capitalism that, that is so popular today. <laughs> you know, uh, the, the, the conglomerate billionaire version of capitalism, uh, that we live under, which is probably closer to a feudal system more than, any, more than an, an honest to God capitalistic system or, or even that dirty an word oligarchy. socialist system or yeah, an oligarchy. Yeah. yeah. An oligarchy. You know, um, but the other thing, too, is that I, I, I want, you know, it also irks me, too, that, that so many of us, especially in independent media, we live or die by Twitter or Facebook or Insta or, you know, when ultimately they only have power because we say they have power. 
And I know that maybe people look at that and say, yeah, but you can't be heard unless you're on Twitter. So if you get like blacklisted off of Twitter, no one can hear. It's like, yes, that's true. But why are we giving Twitter and all of these behemoths so much power? Why are we saying they have the power of our free speech? You know, and, 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 you know, kind of taking it back. Yes, I get it. You need to reach thousands of people. That's where thousands and millions of people are. I'm not arguing that. I just don't like the idea of us kind of constantly giving up our, our, our power that we hold as individuals to large corporations and, and declaring that they're the masters and end all be all of, of our, our rights, uh, especially when it comes to speech. Yeah, I agree. And, and I think it's become so transparent that a couple of these corporations are trying to police our speech and trying to get us to um, agree to argue about subjects that are very, it's just, it's like a bottleneck. Like you can argue about these subjects, but stay away from these ones. And I think one of the things that's happened since, since Epstein died, and you guys always did a fantastic job on watching the Hawks or when you had Lionel on or you know, he was a personality. Oh, yeah. when, uh, <laughs> whenever you guys covered the story, and you have for years, um, people come around to the information. People mm -hmm. want to hear, they want to hear the stuff that they know deep down that like CNN or Fox or MSNBC is not allowing them to hear and see. Um, but I really think that particular story and everything that's happened the last, you know, two, two and a half years with the pandemic has opened up a lot of people's eyes about the, just the, the appeal to authority that's going on not only with our media, but with just everyone's lives. Mm -hmm. Oh, oh, completely. You know, there's, you know, the Epstein story was one of those ones where in the back of my mind, I knew that like, yes, they were finally going to hold him accountable. They were finally going to hold uh, Ghislaine Maxwell accountable for the horrific crimes that they committed. But my biggest worry, even as I was reporting that was, will they take it the next step? You know, beyond a few CEOs stepping down or, or you know, some people that got embarrassed, at the end of the day, they were trafficking in, in children. You know, uh, we in this country, for some reason, have this hard time believing that, that because a, a woman's 16, she's not a child. Uh, they're still a child, you know, and, and or 12 or what, you know, it, it's frightening how we kind of the pole moves sometimes, you know, especially when it comes to women, you know, like where the, the, the pole of consent gets moved around a lot um and they were trafficking in young women uh children and no one else beyond epstein and maxwell really got punished for that you know and and that to me is is truly frightening okay like i said yeah a few ceos got to step down or look bad and have a few bad headlines about them but there's been no criminal action beyond that and that to me is a very frightening aspect that, that people can be so out in the open, be so powerful that, oh, well, we don't want to upset the apple cart. Now, I get if you don't have the evidence, you don't have the evidence, it's hard to bring prosecutions. Totally understand that. But that doesn't mean that you shouldn't be out there trying to prosecute. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't at least publicly be, you know, uh, <laughs> you know, tar and feathering them, not maybe not literally, but, but, you know, at least saying, look, these are the individuals, but boy, you know, it, or it suited each side, you know, the, the, the Republicans yeah. would talk about the Clintons and then the Democrats would talk about Trump. Well, they both were involved with the guy. <laughs> you, know, like right, you, can't, exactly. you can't ignore your side's culpability in that. Uh, you, know, it, you saw the same thing with Harvey Weinstein. You know, like suddenly everybody bolted for the hills, not in not admitting the fact that, yeah, well, we got campaign donations from Harvey. 
you know, and, and to me that, you know, print, you know, it just, it, it just, there was a lot of ugliness with that. And I don't feel enough people were truly held accountable in the Epstein case, which then, no. you know, which then the tragedy of that, uh, says well if you're if you're that rich and you're that powerful even when it comes to you know raping underage women uh mm, that's okay or underage men you know uh, you know mm, we'll look the other way we'll just we'll just give you a few bad headlines and you might have to you know step down from your job but you get to keep your billions <laughs> yeah you're not you're not going to go to prison we're going to they had a couple of fall people i mean uh obviously epstein was the the main guy that you heard about in the press. And uh, hey, I was glad to see Jean-Luc Brunel went down. That was um, nice to see. Yeah, that was that good was to nice see to that. See. Yeah. But he's not really a household name. I mean, he's kind of a tertiary figure. And even mm -hmm. though he's a main figure in the, in the, in the whole deal, mm -hmm. to the press and to most people. Well, look at the guy, look at Epstein's benefactor, the guy who, who ran Victoria's Secret. Oh, and like all of that. Yeah, Wexner, yeah. You know, what happened to him? Okay, he, he just stepped had down. to retire. But he's yeah. made two billion dollars in the last couple of years. And right. He's not going to go to jail. Yeah, you know, and 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 look, even if you can't find criminal culpability, at least maybe civil culpability or something. You know, something has to be done to where these people actually feel the pain of what they did. And look, they can say, "Oh, I didn't know he was doing that." The live long day. But when you really drill down and look at the documents and look at what was happening, you knew. It's kind of like being, I was in LA for a long time before Harvey went down. And, you know, there was a lot of people during Me Too that you, everybody knew, uh, maybe not the extent of the crimes they're committing, but everybody kind of had that, that look like, hmm, I heard that rumor on the street. You know, I, I remember hearing about that. I remember hearing some stories about that. And the problem with that is that nobody ever has the guts enough to say, well, well should we do something about this? You know, should we find right. out if this is fact? You know, you know, and yeah, and well, careers and nice parts and, and a lot of things are on the line. And mm -hmm. it's like when Cindy, Cindy McCain, McCain's wife was like, well, we all knew about Epstein. Everybody knew what he was doing. It's like, OK, well, why you didn't know, you do your, anything? Your husband was the friggin nominee in uh, 2008. Yeah, exactly. It's, you know, hey, it's like Carlin said, it's a big club and you ain't in it. It's very you know? true. And, very uh, true yeah, yeah so, so you spent some time kind of around hollywood as did obviously sean stone and, and i don't know how involved you were in the hollywood dc documentary series that he did but mm. through watching the hall i mean that was fantastic that hollywood yeah. dc oh no sean did sean did some fun stuff you know we you know his his involvement kind of evolved uh involvement evolved a lot of ease in that last century. anyway uh, but his involvement evolved. uh and, yeah uh, you know, his involvement evolved over the years and, and Sean definitely got more into doing his, his documentaries. And, and, you know, I wasn't really involved beyond, you know, just helping with kind of some of the post-production and making sure it got to air. Um, but uh, in the sense of like, you know, making sure it looks nice and like all that kind of stuff and, and helping when I can. But but that was all Sean's. You know, I take nothing away from, you know, I, I, I would be wrong to say like, oh, yeah, I totally was involved. You know, no, that was all Sean and, and that was all his 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 work uh, on the show. And, uh, you know, and I got to give a lot of love to, to Tabitha Wallace's work on the show as well. She did some oh, incredible yeah. pieces uh, over the years uh, from, you know, going to Japan and, 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 and covering Rolling Thunder when no one else would in D.C. And, you know, we, that was the great thing about that job was that we were able to to really all three of us, uh, myself and Tabitha, and then later Amisha Cross, uh, and, and our producers and the people that work directly on our team, uh, we were able to do some really incredible work uh, over the years there that I'm very proud of to this day and will always be proud of, you know, regardless of the, the political uh, uh, winds of our times. 
Right. Yeah. Well, when, when, like you said, man, stuff that's not being talked about and covered uh, gets its day like that and actually gets a platform and an airing. It is very refreshing and really nice. And, and it is inspiring. I mean, you guys had like, uh, obviously, Karyaku won a lot. You had uh, oh, the JFK yeah. author, Mike Janney, Peter Janney. Yep. Yeah, yep. Peter From Mary's Mosaic. Yeah. Mosaic. Yeah. So many, so many cool people. So you guys were definitely an inspiration to us. We started our show in 2015, right, Mike? Yeah, right around that time, man. And yeah, uh, yeah we've just we've we've done a lot of cool stuff, and um, we're here in New Hampshire. We really leveraged the New Hampshire primary to our benefit too. And we, we got Andrew Yang on a week before he did Joe Rogan, so that was oh wow, that Very was really good. cool. Yeah, to get him on and then talk to him. And I know you guys just did an episode with him, which mm-hmm. was really good. Um, but yeah, and so you know, obviously talking about the Epstein thing and and how that's a lot of people are now kind of confronted with it and forced to really look at it and realize what they believed about our world and about the media and about the political system is, is not what they think it was. And we were talking before we went on about Nick Bryant. So I think this kind of puts some wind in the sails um, to what Nick Bryant has done and, and what he's dug up in research. So how, how did you hear about Nick Bryant for the first time? And uh, how man, horrifying a, was that? <laughs> it's a great question. How did I hear about Nick Bryant? Um, I want well. It was a. I had read uh, a great book uh, by a detective named Hodel uh, about the the killing of um, the Black Dahlia murders and 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 how he had uh, discovered that or believes that it was his father uh, who ended up being the, the kind of serial killer responsible for the Black Dahlia's murder. Um, uh, I think it was George Hodel, um, and I, so I kind of got on a kick of like reading uh, true <laughs> true crime. Uh, and then I, I was up late one night and I stumbled across, uh, that BBC documentary that never aired on the Franklin scandal. And I thought, this is interesting. You know, it was, it was a po- even though it was incomplete, it was a powerful piece that the BBC had done. And then that kind of led me to, to Nick's book and Nick's book is a page turner. I mean, it's incredible. Like, like, like. Like I told Nick, it's like, Nick, even if, even if like, cause you're never totally sure, but even if like. 30% of your reporting is accurate. It's, it blows your mind, you know, and, and, and that's not to say not, you know, that it's inaccurate reporting, you know, it's hard to say it's done back in the eighties and things like that. And you did a hell of a job on that book, but it's just a page turner. Even, even if you don't believe a word of it, um, you can't put the book down. You know, and so for me in reading it, 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 you know, and, and his, his citations are there His you can see the work that he put into it. He's very clear when he's doing conjecture, when he's reporting fit fact. Um, and, and so it's just this incredible book while at the same time, damn, like you finish each chapter and you just want to take a shower. You know, it, it, it's such a it's horrific, yeah, yeah, it's such a horrific book to read about what took place uh in that in that case and i don't want to give it away too much to people because i for anyone who hasn't read it definitely check it out uh i mean prepare yourself it's a depressing mm. ugly book yeah. um it but it, it's a page turner you know you yeah. can't put it down because you just got to see where is this going are these people going to be held accountable for this this child prostitution ring and the powerful people involved that reached all the way up to to washington and the cia yeah. and you know right. and, and you just can't put the book down yeah. And, and, and so naturally when I finished reading the book, I always kept him as a journalist in the back of my head saying, God, you know, someday I hope to, I, I would love to interview him. I'd love to meet him because when you read a book with that much 
the the challenges the systems of power and and you know like Epstein you know where you kind of look at the world in a different way and you realize God did this really they allowed this to happen nobody even with child with people yeah. attacking children you right. know it's one thing like look I can give governments or, or powerful institutions like okay I get it like you're gonna take us to war you're gonna do your kind of standard thing you know, you know secret deals with corporations to give them you know, tax benefits and, and, you know, the normal dirty dealings that we're all familiar with. And, but you think there's going to be a hard line. Like I'll even give the CIA, okay, you know, you assassinated our president. Well, you assassinated a lot of presidents before then. So even that I'll kind of say, all right, it still feels like a, it still feels like politics, dirty, ugly politics that you never want to see happen, but it still ultimately has to do with politics, right? Whether it's killing John Kennedy or, or that, or staging coups and things like that. But you always kind of in the back of your mind feel like, but but there's certain lines that won't be crossed, you know. And you imagine the the, the trafficking of children for for sex or or murder or things of that nature. You think, oh, they're not going to cross that line. Yeah. Um, but then when you read a book like like Nick's and the Franklin scan, you're like, oh my god, really, really? You know, they would. Um, so I wanted to meet him. I wanted to meet him and talk with him just to kind of get an idea of who he is because. You know, and I went into it just saying, all right, you never know. It can be a flip of the coin. Sometimes I meet journalists and you're like, oh, God, you're you're not. A, you're, yeah, you made this shit up. Like, you know, what I mean, like, uh, you know, you get a vibe from somebody like sure. mm, right out of the yeah, game. Yeah, this is more about your you wanting to be controversial or you wanting a little attention uh, rather than than good journalism or trying to run a story down. And I didn't, I didn't, I got from Nick when I met him, this is a good journalist. This is somebody who's, who's trying to, to, to shed light on something or at least get people talking about it, get people aware of it. Um, and, and, you know, he, 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 in meeting him, he, he checked those boxes for me of, of credibility. Um, and so then after meeting him, I was like, Oh, I gotta have him on the show. I gotta, I gotta interview him about something, uh, about this book, um, and his reporting on it. And then not long after that is when the Epstein stuff started coming out, which I give a lot of credit to the reporters down at the Miami Herald, because a lot, you know, some of those reporters really put in some good work to keep that story alive, uh, before it became really national news, you know, back in the nineties and early two thousands, when it was kind of being swept under the rug, um, yeah, vanity fair. I did a yeah. snow job on that, and yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm I'm in touch uh, quite often with Maria Farmer, mm. and uh, she's just you know, she's really uh, an amazing woman and a powerful woman, and we had her on the show, and I definitely hope to have her on again, and uh, you know, it's just after people learned about Epstein and then they learn about um, Nick Bryant's work and Franklin, the stuff can't you can't ignore it and brush mm -hmm. it to the side and say, no, this is bullshit. And I always, uh, Mike and I were born in a um, suburb of Boston, Metro West Mass, in the uh, wake of the Catholic Church scandal. Mm -hmm. And I say mm -hmm. to people, I mean, man, that went on for decades and decades. And we're talking about thousands and thousands of children abused and it's covered up and they just move the priest to another parish or they ship them out of the country. So you're going to tell me that goes on in a church like that, but it's not going on in the corridors of power in Washington and it's not going on in Hollywood and it's not going on in the business world and the sports world. Mm -hmm. You know, you're very, you're naive if to yeah. think that, you know, and you know, no one wants to think it, but we've now been hit in the face so hard with so many cases of it that it's kind yeah, of you can't, you can't, you can't deny it. And look, you know, I, 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 
you know, it, it's what led me to to kind of drill down and look into the the Pizzagate stuff initially and mm -hmm. say, okay, is there is there some some fact here? Is there some something tangible here? And then when you see it's not, you know, then it, it's kind of like, oh no, because like my first reaction is like, oh shit, like now I know what this is. This is let's create the most fantastical whether by design to well, let's create the most fantastical story that's totally bullshit. Um, but then we'll case it to where it makes sense with some of these other actual stories, uh, which then allows everyone to be who, who does take those allegations seriously to be painted as Looney Tunes. Yeah, because now if you bring up like the Franklin facts. scandal or Epstein, then the next jump is well, Pizzagate, you know, and look at how crazy that was. And you got a guy showing up trying to, you know, shoot, shoot people shoot in the parlor. And but then the tragedy of that, though, is that in, in many corridors, especially online, there's people who literally believe that Pizzagate was legit. And 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 there I haven't seen and even Nick Bryant hasn't seen any evidence to really make to, to, to confirm that in any in any way. Yeah. And I mean, so there's, that's, that's the trouble with it is that then it dilutes really good reporting and really good stories on that. The key, and that yeah, happens the, across the board in a lot of the situations. I feel like the QAnon stuff did, did, did a lot with a lot of the great research. And I mean, with Pizzagate, I looked at it too very early on and I really felt like there was a lot of smoke there. But like you said, there wasn't a lot that was concrete. Mm -hmm. um, but they really tried to run the narrative that everybody believed that there's a pizza shop owner and if there's a basement and Hillary Clinton has kids down, then that's not really what Pizzagate was about. For me, what it was really about, uh, I don't know if you ever saw Ben Swan's report that mm -hmm. he did on it, which mm -hmm. I thought was one of the best out there because it was just pointing out stuff that was never really answered or accounted for, like the symbols and, you know, the uh, the music videos and the bands they had there and, and calling those all ages shows. And I mean, there, there's some interesting, interesting stuff there, but it's definitely not, it's not the extent of what like QAnon and like all of that made it out to be, uh, at least in my things. And, and Ben did a good job on that. And I thought he was a very, he did a, a fair report on that. Yeah. You know, uh, but again, it's kind of that thing. It's like, okay, well, one person's symbol could just be another one person's like bad taste in decorating. Right. Or trying you know, to be humorous or, or be yeah, I mean, off you know, color. It, it, you know, and maybe I'll get reamed for saying that. <laughs> it's kind of well. I, it brings me back to a thing I remember. Uh, uh, my dad one time got called out for being an, an Illuminati like member, and I'm going like, "Oh Jesus, how, okay, let me see this proof." Like, because I'm just kind of like, "Well, if if he is, I don't know about it." And shit, I haven't seen any great benefit to being part of the Illuminati <laughs> if it's true. You know, because I was about to be, "Ooh, Dad, I got some hard questions for you. What is that? You know, that kind of shit." And I remember it was because he he wore a jacket on like WWE Raw, like a leather jacket one time that had like a weird design of a bird or something on the <laughs> back of it. And they were saying, ah, oh, see, it's a double eagle or whatever the fuck it was, you know. And clearly that's Jesse signaling that he's now in bed with the Illuminati. Illuminati. Yeah, you know, and, and I'm going like. Confirmed. Yeah, I'm going like, no, Jesse just bought a jacket because it was like a wild out jacket in a store that he wanted to wear on wrestling. NWO, New World Order. You know, there's certain elements of that where you're kind of like, okay, you guys are, you're, you're looking too hard. You're stretching, you're really stretching so, here. And, yeah. and you know, maybe the artist who made the jacket was, saw some shit like about that and got inspired <laughs> to throw it on a jacket, but that's not why Jesse right. bought the jacket. And, you know, and it's, it's like I always say, and I, I discovered this a lot when we were doing the conspiracy theory show. Um, mm. cause I worked on all three seasons of that show. 
it's that kind of old saying. I think it was it was Nietzsche or, or I, I can't remember who had said it, but it's you know if you stare into the abyss too long, the abyss stares back. And I think it's very dangerous. I think that's a real danger that can happen because it's important to question our government. It's important to hold people accountable. It's important to look past the headlines of every story you read and and to try to find the motivations that that might not be that they might not want you to know about or are not being reported about in a particular story. But at the same time, it can be very easy to then kind of fall into the abyss, mm. you know, and, yeah. and that's not because of your own fault. Look, the government and, and powerful institutions have been fucking over, fucking us over for a long time, most of the time right out in the open, but then a lot of times in secret. And, and so when you discover something that like, like the JFK assassination or MK ultra or, you know, wild out shit, but then you realize, Oh no, they were really trying to do these things. It's real. Um, <laughs> yeah. It opens the door and makes it easier for you to buy into something bigger. Plus I think that there is a certain truth that the world is pure chaos. And there is a certain, even if you believe that the, that chaos is somehow controlled or manipulated, which it, it is a lot of times, but not to the extent of control that many people believe, you right. know, it, and we live in a chaotic world. And I think that sometimes it's easier to believe that there are, everything's a, everything's a work, everything, nothing's happens by coincidence or chance. Um, and well, because this is what happened. It, it, it makes you feel better, even if it's an all-powerful evil entity running things. At least it's like, okay. Well, somebody's controlling it. That's an answer. Yeah. Yeah. Think, you know, I think and this is where Alex Jones has gotten in trouble recently, especially with, with Sandy Hook. I mean, look, oh, they're trying to go after all his money and bankrupt him. Mm -hmm. and, I, and, and and I think that's very. It, it's. I remember him when he started on the Sandy Hook thing. I'm going, Alex. No, I can I can point to you the things that you're bringing up. I can point to you as just being human mistakes you know the, the 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 evidence that you're trying to cite can just as easily point just to normal human mistakes or misinterpretations of things and things like that and you know that's when i i could tell the abyss had stared back at alex too long you know where at a certain point you just think everything's a work and everything's an, an operation and you double down on it because mm -hmm. god forbid you ever say you're wrong yeah you, mm -hmm. you know uh, and and that not got, goes for Alex and everybody. We all have to be very careful. And we, I mean, we all have to say, "Oh shit!" You know, it's okay to admit. You know, I got it wrong. Yeah. You know, that's okay. You know, and and I think we've lost that in, in I, the kind of tribalization of our country. We've lost the ability to say, you know what, maybe my I have great political beliefs, but well, you know what, maybe they don't fit everybody. You know, and yeah. and, and sometimes you have to leave yourself open to say, oh, you know what, I got that wrong or all that. You always have to be quizzical. Of, you got to be quizzical of everything, including yourself. Yeah, you got to keep <laughs> yourself in check, too. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, I've definitely done that with 9-11, man. Like when I started out young with 9-11, like 05, 06, with uh, the 9-11 truth movement and questioning the official narrative, I was like, oh, no way, a plane hit the Pentagon. And now I'm like, dude, you know, a plane... I, I 100% believe a plane 77 hit the Pentagon. Mm -hmm. They found pieces of it. There's DNA. There's bodies. Mm -hmm. um, that's what happened, you know, because then if, if you have to say this thing that there was no flight 77 at the Pentagon, then it's like, well, what happened to the plane, the passengers, the crew, uh, everyone who was aboard it? Oh, you're saying hijackers didn't exist. So it's just, you know, you can go off the rails with things, man. You mm -hmm. can really it's really easy to go off the rails. And I think with the last two years, with the way they locked down our country and the world and people were just caged in home, watching the internet and watching shit online. And, it, you know, it, fr it fried a lot of people, fried it a did. lot of people's brains, man. And, and 
it's very, very difficult time. So it's hard. It's hard to come back from the abyss. If you go, like you said, I, I like that saying, if you yeah. stare too deeply into it or go too you deep. Gotta, into you got to be careful. I, on conspiracy theory, I walked up to that edge, you know, and, and <laughs> yeah. there was a few times where I was like, mm, can I take this leap? Uh, but then thankfully I had just enough kind of, I don't want to use the word common sense because look, I, I sympathize with people who do fall over that edge. Yeah, well, you know, I'm, I'm some, yeah, and and you know, that's the difference, I guess, between me and, and a lot of folks is I don't I don't hate people because they disagree with me. Right. You know, if anything, I, I try to I sympathize with them. I try to understand why they disagree with me or why they believe what they believe, so that way I can better understand them and hopefully I can better communicate with them to then hopefully at least get pull them back from the edge. You know, and, and allow them to kind of understand, like, okay, you've taken a little too far. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've got friends. Oh, I'm sorry. I mean, oh, it's a trip. And, and to the 9 11 thing, yeah, it's like just because, you know, you say, ah, you know what? Mm, I look at that and I make the educated decision that a eh, plane probably did hit the Pentagon. That doesn't then necessarily negate that there wasn't nefarious shit going on that day exactly. that we weren't told about. You know, exactly. and, that, and that's the thing is that I think people forgot that the world is not black and white. Mm -mm. it's shades of gray and nuance and, tons and of nuance. nuance and and you know one uh, one one person's hero is another person's villain it's like it's that standard saying it's like you know uh <laughs> one <t> this terrorist group is not only you know to one person they're a terrorist group to another person they're a freedom fighter yeah to ronald reagan the mujahideen were freedom fighters he welcomed right into the oval office yeah, you know, Nancy and so, read their uh, their tarot cards. Yeah, you know, that's exactly. You know, and so, I predict rockets and Toyotas in your future, sir. And strip clubs. Uh, Charlie Wilson, Operation <laughs> Cyclone. Well, no, it's it's true. Heroes and villains, man. Brian Wilson wrote the song "Heroes and Villains," mm -hmm. and uh, it's it's just it is easy to get swept up in shit. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes too, and maybe you notice this, Tyrell, in your travels, and maybe with your own family, even outside of your dad, but other people in your family or friends you grew up with, a lot of belief is is uh, generational. Things oh, that yeah. we, at we attach ourselves to, narratives we attach ourselves to, that we hold sacred, that we have to believe in, that is something that, that is beyond reproach and you can't question it. And um, Well, it's I, because, I, look, life is, like I said earlier, life is chaos, right? Yeah. And, and so you need pillars Right. To kind of keep the chaos in check, even in your own life. You know, I need the pillar of my grandmother or I need the pillar of this yeah. or I need. You know, and that's not a bad thing. You know, you know, right. it, it's more that when you have to also accept the fact that like, OK, well, your grandmother's going to pass away someday. And I use that as a metaphor, you know, it, it, that sometimes your pillars are going to be destroyed. Sometimes you have to readjust. Sometimes you have to look at things a little differently and understand that your reality might not be the reality that you think it is. And, and mm. you know, you can either get real deep with that and, and get into like, you know, the, the world of LSD and psilocybin and, <laughs> and, and, and really have some deep, deep, deep thoughts. Which I've uh, done a few times. Yeah, there you go. You know, uh, or on just a purely like on a surface level of just kind of saying, you know, I have to leave myself open to alternative thought about, you know, yeah. the news stories, my political beliefs, you know, just because my grandfather, my father, or my mother believes something it's, doesn't necessarily mean I have to it, believe it. Exactly. Um, you can look at something in those shades of gray. It's like, you know, I get into a million fights with people over the pandemic and, and the mm. response to it and things like that. Do I believe that the government, the federal government and state government has a role in public health and trying to keep the masses safe? Yes, without a doubt. Do I believe that that can be overdone? Of course, government always overdoes shit. Uh, do, at the same time, do I believe that we're just supposed to ignore 
any kind of public health risk just because, uh, you know, individual freedom? No. Like, you know, you can't everything. You can't take it to the extreme of either side. You have to find that proper balance and that proper middle of all things to where that way you're not only keeping people safe, but at the same time, you know, you're not you're not also then taking people's rights away or, you know, giving people the appearance of that to where then it's like, well, now I'm really going to go over to the other end because, my God, I was, you know. Also, too, let's let's not forget we're a, we're we're United States citizens, man. The moment that you inconvenience us, suddenly you know we 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 lose our fucking minds. <laughs> we turn into you know, babies. You know, yeah. And, and, you know, I remember with the mask thing. I was kind of like, who cares? So you have to wear a mask. You know, and and people might get offended by that and things like that. And I understand where you're coming from on that. I totally do. You know, but at the same time, I'm also like, so I wear a mask when I go to the store. It's not that big a deal. Japan's been doing it for years, not because of a government mandate, but because they actually feel, oh, I'm feeling a little sick, feeling a little icky. I'm going to put a mask on so I don't get my yeah. coworkers sick. You know, right. but I think that the rollout of how that went down was so horribly handled. Yeah, you know, it's about having personal discernment, though, too. I mean, you're right. Like, if yeah. you feel like you're sick or maybe you have something going on, um, stay home, you know. Yeah. But yeah. I, I feel if, like if a private business says, hey, you know what? We want to have masks on today. OK, great. You know, that's private business's choice. And like I said, even even on a, on a level of the government saying oh, just for at least a little while, let's try to be safe. You know, but again, their messaging on that entire issue was so I was just putting my hand in my head, my hand going like, wow, how do you fuck this up? Yeah, well, they overshot yeah. it, and, and you had yeah. Fauci on there changing the parameters, that, you know, saying we don't need them, and oh, now you do need them, and you know, and uh, mm -hmm. yeah, and, and again, I mean, that even can like come out and just say, hey, we made a mistake, you know, yeah. that's they're not the going to do that exactly, you know, that's <laughs> the other problem too. When I get back to that thing I was talking about, mistake, it's like even if it whether nefarious or not nefarious, if you told people one thing, then did another. Or then found out new information that said, "Oh shit, I was wrong about this." At least just come out and say, "Hey, you know what? We made a mistake here. We're rectifying that. We're moving forward. This will be the new parameters." Don't make it seem like just because people are calling you out on that that somehow everybody's evil, you know, right. or, or yeah, they're I against mean, you. Like people were scared though, people. too, man. People oh, yeah. they, they they really dialed up the fear and they really got people to turn on each other. And um, yeah, I, I I always I try to just continue living my life the last couple of years and and like you said about private business. I mean, you go you go into a private business, they ask you to do something. If you don't like it, don't shop there. Don't go there. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I would. But overall, though, just in perpetuity, and and, and there's certainly people who are not going to go back to how it was because they're so freaked out and they got scared oh, yeah. to death by watching the fear porn on TV oh, 24 seven. And, that, and that, that which, to me is another part of big problem of it too, is that yeah. the fear porn means ratings. Oh. We're going to elevate and heighten the shit out of everything to scare the shit out of you. Why? Because that keeps you tuned in and keeps you clicking rather than having like a good informed discussion about what we should do, what we shouldn't do, what can keep us safe, what can't keep us safe, make people yeah. aware, Hey, this might change. Moving forward, it wasn't allowed at all. There was yeah, no, no, there was not even talk about it. I mean, we, no. we did one episode where we just focused on it with um, Mary Holland, who's RFK Jr.'s mm -hmm. um, counsel for the children's uh, uh, health defense, defense. Fund. Yeah, yeah, Def yeah, yeah, defense yeah. fund. We had a great hour long chat with her, and we we you know we asked great questions and we let her talk, and mm -hmm. and uh, within a couple hours, the whole thing was just taken down and gone. So. And that, okay. and that, again, to me, that goes back to the, the element of, of we have to stop being a society that that runs too far in either direction. Yeah. You know, we yeah. have to stop being the society that, that, that we're going to run way over here with the ball 
which then freaks out the other side, makes them run even further with the ball, rather than just sitting down and saying, okay, here's a major problem, rather than freaking out and getting scared. You know, it's scary. It's a scary problem. You know, but but let's try to solve this together uh, and try to find something that we can all agree is, is beneficial for the whole as well as the individual. Yeah, yeah. and they really played politics with it and really oh, got people yeah. to, to, you know, you had some people saying, well, you want to kill my grandmother. And then you had other people saying the virus doesn't exist. And it's like looking at both sides of that sloganeering it's like jesus <laughs> you know, what all are we gonna do common sense in between are like well jesus yeah. like, you know, you know, yeah let's, you know, let's not lose our, let's try and not lose our cookies here you know exactly you know let's actually just try to try to solve this problem without losing our losing our minds well, but I, I, don't I like to uh what dave Chappelle said that twitter is not real it is not real life and that mm-hmm. harkens back to kind of what you said earlier tyrell about we give them so much power and so much deference and so much of our energy and our attention in our consciousness that you, when you go out in real life and you're out with real people, whether you're at a bar or going out to eat or whatever, man, most people do, we do not treat each other like that. No, we do not talk to each other in person like that and insult strangers and, and act like petulant children. You know, yeah. at least I know I don't, you know, I, yeah. I do my best not to, you know, <laughs> I'm not perfect. I've had, I've had my moments, but um, yeah. just when you see the ugliness on, on social media and, that in, into itself has been, I think, very damaging to society oh. and, and psychologically to our species. Um, I, I, I agree. I think that the, the problem that we're, we're running into right now is that the, today, more than ever, we have the greatest ability in the world to communicate, like without a doubt, that we all individually can communicate. We all individually can have a voice. And we've never seen that before in society, in global society for that matter. Um, and so we're going through the growing pains of that. I think it's easy to kind of forget that the, you know, what social media has been around for maybe what, 10 years, 15 years, legitimately, you know, 20, maybe, you know, um, yeah, under 20, that's a, not even a speck of time in terms when you're talking about human society, at least at, at human society, at least, you know, uh, so we're going through those growing pains and trying to figure out how do we navigate that? You know, how do we, how do we balance? Because look, there's a lot of keyboard warriors out there, you know, <laughs> yeah. on, all, on all sides of the political spectrum. Oh, they yeah. will talk shit all day long. There's people that troll just for the sake of trolling. There's people that do some crazy shit and say some horrible things. Some of them become and, president. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and Excuse so me. we're, we're going through the growing pains of that. And I think that you're going to have the pendulum is going to swing in a lot of different ways during those growing pains. Uh, it, it, it can swing too far one way and you have no one being held accountable whatsoever for anything that they're saying, or it goes the other way where, you know, people are being overly held accountable for the things that they're saying, you know, and, and again, it goes back to what, you know, we got to find that kind of happy medium that we as a society can live with, you know, that we can say, okay, you know, cause one of the things that really irked me about all of that, was, you know, we're going to make a, 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 what was it, a, a commission or whatever it was, uh, a government entity that's going to combat, you know, disinformation online, mm. you know, and I'm going like, okay, that sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> because, you know, you guys are taking a, 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 you know, a sledgehammer to a scalpel, you know, when you need a scalpel, you know, um, and the, and, and the other thing that irked me is I, I worked along side tab of the wallets for many years on hawks and 
seeing the amount of rape and death threats that she would get online on a daily basis for simply holding a political viewpoint that opposed somebody or simply because she's not a woman who speaks her mind on television, like seeing the amount of rape and death threats that she would get online or in Twitter or on YouTube or things like that was sickening, you know, and I can only imagine that's someone who voluntarily went on TV. So I can't even imagine how bad it is for somebody who's just simply using social media as a, just a, a regular everyday tool to communicate with people and then getting like deluged with stuff like that. Yet we're going to spend all of this money and government resources worried about fucking Russian Facebook ads that, that <laughs> cost a hundred grand when you're talking about both of the candidates together spent close to a, what was that? I think a billion dollars. Yeah. A billion dollars on Facebook and, and social media advertising. You know, it, again, it's priorities. It's like I would rather see a commission formed by the government to go after and try to actually rein in the rape and death threats uh, or the or, the, you know, online that, that truly affect people psychologically on a daily basis than than going after something like that. It's, I don't know if that makes sense, does it? I, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Yeah, you know, you're, you're talking about stupid uh, bullshit Twitter bots and, and absurdist uh, shenanigans on social media for politics as opposed to an actual person who's receiving uh whether they're doxxed or they're just threatened or yeah you know, you know i mean they're harassed they're, i mean i remember if you try to report it it's like well it comes down to like well what exact word did they use did they say they knew where you lived like you know and, and things like yeah. that and you're just kind of like well <laughs> you know it's just yeah <laughs> well it's you know it, it's that could that could be tough because it's tr trolling and yeah. then out of a certain percentage of people who are, are harmless and will never do anything, there is a small percentage of people who do end up going out into the real world yeah. and, and killing people and going to people's houses and shit like that because mm -hmm. it's just you simply know, a matter of numbers. What was, the, what was the other big one, too, that came out that I was just like, wow, that's that's going to cause problems? Remember the thing where people were swatting each other? The gamers yeah. where they were like calling in SWAT teams and shit like that? Yeah. I'm like going like, oh, fuck. Tim, like, Tim Pool, like, Tim Pool has been swatted several times. Yeah, you know, there's there, there's shit like that where it's like, oh God, guys, understand that's, the power of what you're doing and how right. dangerous this that's can really become. That's really scary. You know, uh, yeah. it's hard enough to deal with the police. You're not killing people. <laughs> you know, like right. you know, not firing flashbangs into people's houses or or. You know, we just had last year in Minneapolis. Uh, you know, the police going in and killing someone on a no-knock warrant. You know, and you see the video, it's like they bust into the guy's house. Yes, uh, he, he had a gun, but he wasn't even the person you were looking for, nor did he raise the gun to the police. He just shot him dead, you know, and a young kid, you know, and we have a hard enough time with that in, in that in our society that we have to figure out how to fix than, than you know, the other, some of these other problems. Yeah, I mean, overall, our society has been, I feel, so militarized and whether it's, uh, you know, young people with video games and you know violent movies and tv shows you know I'm not trying to go tipper gore here on this <laughs> stuff but i'm talking about the psychological ramifications of having that type of violence um, of tipper gore not, i'll let you finish but speaking of tipper gore just reminded me when my dad was governor uh in 2000 um uh al gore was really trying to get jesse's endorsement right oh, uh, really yeah and he came to Minnesota and, and had dinner with us and, and hung out with my dad for like two days. It was weird because, I, wow. you know, you, you don't know security until you suddenly have the Secret Service bring in security, mm -hmm. you know, and you're like, oh, yeah. shit, like, you know, like it was heavy. Um, but I remember being at dinner with Al Gore and, and Tipper and knowing, you know, Tipper's crusade, you know, <laughs> of, of censorship that she was on. 
And uh, for whatever it's worth, I spent at least 20 minutes in that dinner uh, trying to get Tipper Gore to watch Fight Club. That's amazing. <laughs> really? Yeah. Did she even know what it was? Did you no. have any concept of like, No, 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 not at all. Yeah, but that, I, I just, That's major I, boomer energy right there, man. Oh, yeah. yeah it was that, that, that's like, was the, like I got to... I gotta, I gotta get her to watch Fight that's, Club. That's the Boomer Karen of of the day of that time. Oh, yeah. at, now, was this at the governor's mansion or? At oh yeah, this was at the private... governor's mansion. We were all so there having dinner. You, your, your mom, it was, it was your my dad. Ma, it was my our family and 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 Al and, and Tipper Gore wow. and there could have been some other folks there. Was, I can't remember was he now. already the nominee for the Democrats? I believe he was. Yeah, was sitting already, vice president. Yeah, it was. It you was had a, the sitting yeah. vice president there. You're having dinner with, and yep. obviously and, your dad's knowing knowing Tipper's background and all that. I was like, I want her to go home and watch Fight Club. What did she say? Uh, she didn't say she wasn't going to watch it. <laughs> you know, I don't know if she ever did. <laughs> but it was one of those oh, moments that I had in my life that I haven't thought about in a long time. But... That is surreal, Tyrell. Yeah, I yeah, mean, that, that's going to freak you out a little bit, man. You were probably what in your early twenties. I was about twenty. Yeah, I was. Jesse was governor from when I was about nineteen to twenty-two. I want to say. Yeah. Right. That, that's that is, wild. That is, that is pretty wild. That, I don't that, think I have a story that could top that. I'd have to think. No, no, I don't have one. That one, and, and I wanted to ask your dad about this when I had him on, but I always forgot is when he spent the night at the Clinton White House. Mm -hmm. And and he said, well, I said to Bill Clinton, why don't you just blow up the hill? It's like two kids fighting over something in the sandbox. Yes. And then they got nothing to fight about. Yeah. And uh, President Clinton kind of looked at me kind of chewed on a cigar a little bit more and walked away. You know? <laughs> he just said, well, that's something, Jesse. That's, yeah, that's, yeah, an, yeah. Or that's an idea. I can't remember uh, exactly what he that's said. A, that's an yeah. idea there, Governor. I'll, I'll think about that. You I'll, have yourself I'll, a good I'll solve the, the problem. Just just blow up the mountain that, that they both consider holy. Well, yeah, obviously then, he was just bullshitting being, yeah, being funny yeah, and being was, cute. But, I mean, yeah. that's, that's playing the real. That even, yeah, exactly. So a colorful figure like that is, is a governor, and you're spending the night at the White House with – with Clinton and, and, and well, the, the best the part about that, that story, the best part about that story, and I, and I'll give you know the Clintons were very friendly. Not during the election, actually, it was funny. Um, during the election, at one point, Hillary came to stump for Hubert Humphrey the mm. third uh, during the governor's election, and she said, "Well, you know, we have to get away from the circus or something along those lines. You know, we can't we can't let the mm. circus be in charge. You know, right. that kind okay. of direct yeah. shot at my dad. Oh right? yeah." Um, and then when the press came back to Jesse and asked him, boy, you know, Hillary Clinton said this about, you know, your campaign and called it a circus. My dad said, <laughs> he said, uh, something, to the effect of, I think Hillary should be more concerned about leaving Bill alone in the white house. Oh. <laughs> dude, that's the pit smack down with, with the body right there, dude. That's the throwback to the, and I don't give the Clintons credit very often. It's very rare for all the damage that they've done to this country. Uh, but I give them the credit that once Jesse won, they, they didn't hold a grudge. You know, they treated Jesse with the utmost respect when, cause the governors would all have to go there. They had to work with them, yeah. You know, they, they treated us with respect. Bill had Jesse over and stayed a night at the white house. And right. funny story to that was the fact that, you know, after Bill had gone to bed and Jesse goes to his room and I, it might've been the Lincoln bedroom. I can't remember exactly. Uh, he flips on the you know TV to watch some TV to fall asleep to. And playing in the White House on cable was all the president's men wow. with, with Robert Redford and Dustin Austin. Yeah, deep throat. <laughs> yeah. And I'm going, and, and dad was like, wow, what a neat movie to watch as I spend the night in the White House. I, I was going to say the old movie would have been if Predator was on in the Lincoln bedroom <laughs> while, he, while the body was staying there. That would, oh, have been, it would have been great. That would have been a peak Matrix moment. Well, <laughs> no, that I, and. 
I, I, I'm sorry, Mike. I cut you off earlier from what you were saying. I, I'm trying to even remember. Okay, I think my point was just that. Um, it's so good. Just picturing you talking to, to Fergor. Um, and oh, geez, what was I saying? I was saying basically like the violence in our culture and how it's it's permeating young minds. Um, and certainly, I mean, dude, I grew up loving Arnold Schwarzenegger. I, he's the greatest action hero of all time. I love his movies, but they're very cartoonish. But it's it's the violence we see in the media that's just nonstop. And all these news stories, I feel like we become so desensitized to it. And, well, and, and we, that's and having we, a real impact on on yeah, and and we think that the 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 world is this frightening, dangerous place, which yes, it is to an extent. Um, but it makes us feel like every city that we live in, or every town we live in, that someone's constantly out to get us around every corner. So, yeah, they, the yeah. media amplifies it, the violence and gets everybody scared. And and uh, yeah, I just I, I don't know. It's just I don't know yeah, what my yeah, I don't know what my point was. Statistics. Well, when you look at the statistics, that the violent crime has actually been in a steady slow and steady fall for a long time now like comparatively to what it was in the 70s and 80s and things oh, like definitely. that you know violent crimes actually taken a, a nosedive when you when you look at the statistics um you know but to me all of that speaks to the fact that at the end of the day we have a very depressed economy it might be booming there's a lot of jobs people are employed but at the end of the day they're not making enough and there's large swaths of the population, especially in cities and, and also out in the very rural country where you've got people barely able to survive, you know, or having to work three, four jobs just to pay rent or just to pay their mortgage or whatever it might be. And when people always talk, well, what's the causes of crime? Well, I would say that's probably it. Most people don't wake up in the morning and say, you know, I'm, I'm going to go commit some crimes today. No, you know, crime is usually something out of necessity desperation you know and then once crime once you're on a road of, of committing crime violence is going to eventually be a part of that um and and that you know and those are issues that we have to face in a real way that i i believe are economic issues i believe they're educational issues you know of of when people don't have hope uh they resort to whatever can bring them hope uh or at least you know in in a in a in a, in a twisted sense um, and that's what that's the main causes of that are education and, and economy. It's not what you see on TV. It's it's not now that can you know, maybe there's a debate that that you know the game you play or something could give you an idea of how to do something. I don't know. Maybe there's an argument somewhere in there, and I'd be willing to have that argument. I don't believe that, but but that yeah, no, that's not what I was trying to say. Yeah, I wasn't yeah, trying yeah, to no. say that I thought, but I, I just overall I think my point was um the desens, you know, being oh, desensitization is huge. Yeah, yeah I mean, I, believe yeah. me, I love, I love horror films, you know, slasher films, scary movies, but I'm, I'm appalled by violence. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Well, and I remember, I remember as a kid, I remember as a kid the outcry over like the Friday the Thirteenth movies and things like that, which yeah. I remember as a kid or at least a teenager. It didn't bother me that much. I was like, oh, come on. You guys are crazy. Like, natural-born killers doesn't make people fucking kill people. Jason doesn't do that. But as funny as you age, I don't believe that they're causation. But as you age, I went back and watched a couple of, like, recently, a couple of, like, the Friday the 13th films. And maybe it's just me, but I'm watching them going like, well, this definitely is violence porn. Oh, yeah. You know, I, it's yeah. like I, I'm trying to sit here and watch it for just the sake of being a horror movie, and I'm not really getting scared. And, and it is just kind of like, all right, how many different ways can we kill uh, a young woman or guy in their underwear 
it, yeah, and it's I'm just going, gratuitous. Like, yeah, there's a certain point where you're sitting there going like, and people sat in theaters and was like really excited about this shit. Like, yeah, know? myself included. Right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. You know, like, I grew up with that. It's just kind of well, like wow. I grew up really li liking the Saw series. You know, the first Saw oh. came out when I was a senior in high school, and I went and saw that, and the ending, the twist, you know, just blew my mind. But I, I really can't sit through those those movies like I used to, and I don't mm -hmm. get enjoyment or entertainment value like I used to. It, it's strange how you, you get what I'm saying as you, as get, you get older. older. Yeah, it's strange as you get older that you that kind of appeal lessens, you know. It I does. mean, to me, the biggest concern that I have about about like video game violence or film violence, to me honestly, is this weird infiltration that the military industrial complex has brought in as like using them as like recruitment tools. Oh, totally. The Call of Duty. and Yeah. You know, and yeah, you see them like not even just the game itself, but like in the world around the game, you suddenly have like, you know, soldiers online who are PR guys for the military saying, oh, if you like this, come join up. You know, maybe it's not that direct, but maybe it is. You know, I've read enough articles about it to where there's yeah. actually been some serious pushback saying, hey, you guys aren't supposed to have a table at the high school anymore. Wow. You know, you're supposed to wait and, and at least until someone's 18 to present them with that kind of uh, mm -hmm. pamphlets, propaganda, whatever you want to call it. Oh. But when you're going into like places where kids are playing games at 10, 12 years old and trying to hype yeah, them on joining sick. the military when they turn 18, you're that's not allowed. You're not supposed to do that. You know, you, you gotta wait until someone's considered an adult uh, before you go that route. And that to me is a very big danger. Or at least I agree until they see the new Top Gun, you know? <laughs> that was the greatest recruitment tool for Scientology and the Sea Org in our military that I've ever seen, Tyrell. Oh, I was it's... so psyched to go uh, just to do Dianetics at a local celebrity center <laughs> after after I watched it. It's just like, I looked at Mike. I said, dude, that was fucking incredible, man. Dude, Tom Cruise, what is he, 60, Mike? He's, oh, he's, he's got to be up there. He's, he's yeah. running a, I, thankfully, Jennifer Connelly, who was the love interest, was age appropriate. It wasn't, you know. It wasn't like this scenario where you have like Gandalf with uh, Billie Eilish, you know, where it just it just doesn't it just doesn't make sense, but it's, it's there. But um, I, I mean, I enjoy the new. And we you mentioned Matt Taibbi earlier, man. He has a banger out on Substack about the the mindless entertainment of Top Gun, and that you just you know we need to go back to that where where we get an escape from how miserable things are and how down everyone is about everything where. This is the kind of escapism that we need, you know. You know, it's interesting because I, 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 I uh, what is a, it's such a great counter film to Top Gun that I really enjoy the film was Nope. I haven't seen that yet. Jordan yeah, Peele haven't seen it. It's 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 such a great like I I, I saw it uh, and and I also have a great friend in it, so I'm probably a little biased. But um, oh, cool. Uh, the great actor Michael Wincott is in it and, and oh he's, he's awesome a, he's a dear friend of mine he's, and he hasn't done a movie right? in many years yeah well he's done a few but nothing like of this you know attention getting and um, what just happened what did yeah, he yeah 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 but the director dog note dead yes yeah, michael's shot. you know top dollar in the crow and like you know yeah, it's he's, cool he's so your those, buddies buddies at wincott yeah and and but seeing nope it i i it's kind of a great antithesis to top gun because the metaphors going on in nope speak exactly to what you're talking about about the lust for for violence and spectacle in society yes. and and when you see the film which i don't i won't ruin it for you i just say go out and check it out because like there are so many brilliant commentaries like but subtly done in a way that you don't feel like you're getting beat over the head with mm -hmm. it mm -hmm. um 
that when you walk out, it, it spurns conversation where you're like, wow, he made a he made a comment on that. He made a comment on this. I mean, you could even make an argument that there's a commentary on animal rights. Like, you know, there's so much packed into this great science fiction summer blockbuster. Uh, it's rare to see filmmaking on that kind of cerebral level where not only can you go in and be entertained on a purely popcorn level, but you can also, yeah. it, it, it raises great questions uh, that you love having a conversation about on, on uh, political fronts and on violence and media and, and, and things like that. And, and what we, social media even, you know, it, it's a very richly layered film. Yeah, I really enjoyed uh, Get Out from, mm -hmm. I think that was 2017 and then us was 2019 maybe mm -hmm. or mm -hmm. um did you get a chance to see the i don't know if you like candy man but did you see the candy man mm -hmm. one that jordan peele wrote i think wrote it and produced it I, I thought that was really good oh yeah jordan peele is one of those rare filmmakers today where where he's three for three and, and you don't often see filmmakers be that good for for you know consecutively you know, um, and, right. and it would be a dud I, eventually like M. Night Shyamalan. Yeah. Yeah. And, 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 you know, the thing about Jordan, I had a great conversation with uh, Chris Chambers, who was a Georgetown professor. I put it up on, on, on cheap plug. I put it up on, on die first, then quit the other day. Um, but I talked to Chris a lot on watching the Hawks about media and things like that and, and, and films and, 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 uh, uh you know, mainstream media and things like that. But you know, the thing, the thing with, with, with Nope and, and, Jordan Peele specifically is that he's he's that rarity in today's world where most films I'm a filmmaking guy I came from Hollywood I love films but most films today are are very much spectacle uh but if you ask who directed them you have no fucking clue you mm. know uh you know Marvel movies are great but they all generally kind of look the same after a certain period of time um whereas Jordan is one of those rare directors that that I don't think we've seen since maybe the 70s or 60s where uh, Denis Villanueva is another director who did Dune and, and, and uh, you know, where you, you can see mm -hmm. their work. You instantly know oh, that's a Jordan oh, Peele film. Right. You know, like that, the new Blade Runner. He did the new Blade Runner. Yeah. Movie. Yeah. yeah that's a Denis Villanueva film. You know, yeah. like, like, you know, that's their movies, you know, when you go to see them. It, and and that's signature. rare in Hollywood today uh, because of the corporate influence of Hollywood and no one wanting yeah. to make you know, just money over everything else. It's yeah, rare that loud noise. individualized directors, uh, uh, especially of a certain generation, you know. Yeah, here's the, this is this very well said, Tyrell. Here's the, great. This, the end of Matt Taibbi's piece. He said, mm. this country sucks at highbrow. We're great at stupid. And since, since there's nothing more stupid than stupid highbrow, we spent the last half decade exporting the most embarrassing conceivable content on a grand scale. This has just made everybody left and right more uptight and pissed at each other. We got to get back to embracing shark panics, uh, hanging their baby office posters, and weightlifters slash models blowing each other out of the sky with billion-dollar weapons. My guess is we'll all start feeling better. Thank you, Tom Cruise, you lunatic. You've helped the healing begin. <laughs> That's why I love Matt. That's yeah, why I love just, Matt's that, work. That hit me, man. It really it, it resonated with me. And, and, and obviously, dude, I'm disgusted at the propaganda of – it was a three-hour Boeing ad, Raytheon ad. That, that's all it yeah. was. and. People like they made us fun of Lockheed Martin as well. They did. They, they, <laughs> you know, they did some sniping, which is a military industrial complex inside game sniping at each other going on. And, and, and if you're out, you can understand that and see that nuance, then you, you're clear to go in there and actually enjoy yourself. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's what I did. That's what Matt did. You know, and I just I just thought that was just so well said. And, and 
and we're saying the older I'm getting, the older I'm getting, the more I'm just accepting of the way certain things are. Mm-hmm. They're going to be that way. There's really nothing I can do about it. Well, so. you know what it is. You know what it is, Eric. It, it's it's. I, I think it's not so much accepting, but it's it's understanding how things work. And it doesn't mean that you don't stop fighting against it. it and criticizing it and calling it out. But it also means that you have enough um, maturity to not let it ruin your day every day. You don't let it consume your life to such an extent that you, you know, you become kind of walled off from just every joy. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, mean, how often do you see that where the revolution's great? You know, we all have to fight for it. We all have to fight for change and we have to continue fighting for change. But in that fight for change, we cannot lose track of what we're fighting for. You know, it's very easy in that in that battle, whether it's an intellectual battle or a political battle or or a a physical battle. It's very easy to lose track of what exactly it is you're fighting for. And what you're fighting for at the end of the day is for everybody to have a chance to lead at the very least a decent, happy life and and, and have love and, and find affection and and have opportunity um but oftentimes we get so caught up and i've seen this a lot with with activists especially whether and they're and they're they're what they're activists for could be brilliant and and could be the most joyous of of fights and righteous of fights but they get so caught up in the fight that they lose track of their heart and soul in the process and and that's a dangerous thing because then then you're just nothing more than a mercenary for your cause you know, uh, the greatest revolutionaries are, are you know, revol- are, are poets. You know, they 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 don't lose that spirit and that thing that makes them right. human joy and, and joy. And and I think that that's that's where as an, you know, you need all that energy as a youth uh, to blindly fight the good fight. Uh, mm-hmm. But as you get older, you realize, OK, you can't also then let it destroy your own life. You can't also at the same time make it to where you're just miserable 24 seven. You, you know, gotta have you gotta have art and poetry and humor and time with friends and family. That's the yeah. most important things to me, man. And a cold beer. And a cold beer. That's always good yeah. too. Yeah. For me, you know, I like those natural bohemians. I had a few. <laughs> but, no, I, you're absolutely right, Tyrell. I mean, you, you can get so wrapped up in your cause and what you believe and what you think is righteous and true, and um, not only does it turn people off, but it pushes people that care about you away from you. Yeah. It can do that. Um, and it makes and it makes you lose the humanity, your ability to see who the the humanity on the other side. You know, yeah. you have to remember that yes, we're a very divided country right now. And the thing that frightens me the most is that both sides are are losing the ability to understand that there's a human being on the other side of the fight. Right. There's still somebody who has a spirit who who who's there, who who loves their family, who who they they're just as passionate about you in their chosen belief system, even if you're violently against it, you know, um, and, and they're, and they're wildly stupid for believing it or, or, or dangerous for believing it. I get it, but you can't lose fact that that's still another human being, you know, and, and doesn't mean you got to tolerate it. Doesn't mean you got to accept it, but at the very least you, you know, losing, lose it. When you lose the humanity of the other side, that pushes you further towards civil war. When you can no longer look at the other side as being human beings and and realizing that they're flawed human beings and and that they're they're going to make mistakes and that they're they're following a terrible pied piper or or whatever the belief, you know, you know, you got to have that 
you gotta you gotta have that humanity still to be able to understand the other side and, and care about them. You're trying to change them. You're trying to save them from the abyss of their belief system. I think that's how you reach people, and it's it's a lot easy. It's it's done a lot easier on a one-on-one -on -one basis, like yes. a conversation like we're having, where you're face to face with that person with their humanity, um, and, and can understand where they're coming from, why they believe what they believe. And unfortunately, we have lost that ability a lot in, in our current climate to just to you know look at the underlying humanity of everybody. Oh yeah, yeah. that's you why know? I love what I, one of the things I love what you guys do is you guys don't forget to include the comedy. Yeah, you know, oh, you know, the one, you, know you gotta laugh, you know, and, and and that's one of the things I love most about the work that you guys do and, and, and things like that is that you still keep the comedy going. Thanks, not man. We try. What we're we doing? Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that's it, man. You know, I mean, but impersonations we've done them since we were little kids, and it started with our family. We impersonated our family around us. Our mom grew up in, is from Boston, so all her family have that cringe Boston accent. And then our teachers in school talent shows, we would do teachers' impressions in front of the whole school. So. It's uh, if we're doing an impersonation of you, it means we love you. There you go. There's, there's there you something. Go. There's something in there, Mike, that we see. You know, that's greatest form oh, of battery. That's why oh, you have great. to. You can't totally hate. I mean, that's why De Niro got so much criticism, or uh, not De Niro, uh, Baldwin got so much criticism with the Trump. He just he hated him so much, and he has a right to hate him. But it came through in the impersonation, and, and then it, the, it poisoned his impression of him. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think you know, so. Look, I can't, I can't stand Donald Trump. I, I, you know, rarely does he say something that I, I, I agree with. And now and then there'll be like a little spot of something that he'll mention that I'll be like, mm, yeah, that's not. And then he'll keep talking. I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, <laughs> ruined it. Yeah. Yeah. And also, I just know the thing with Donald is that Donald's only out for Donald. You know, he, he's the quintessential narcissist. He's not really out to help anybody. He's only out to help himself. And and that's the real danger of, of him. Uh, in that sense, I mean that was on full display with all those Saudis at his oh, golf course, course, man, and those nine eleven families were talking about it. And yeah, um, did you did you get to hang with him when he flew out to Minnesota after your dad won? Because I know he flew out there, right? He, he did. And that was that was also a different Donald too. That was the Donald who was still contributing to the Clintons. And I was a like Democrat that. back then, Tyrell, yeah. and I invited Hillary and Roger to my wedding, and Roger ate all my wedding cake. Okay, <laughs> she did. It was it was a disaster. It was a I introduced her to Ghislaine, and then Ghislaine went to Chelsea's wedding, and it was a binga, banga, banga, banga. But I, I hope she's I, doing okay. Yeah, man, that was one of the worst ones. I, oh I don't know God. a lot about Ghislaine Maxwell, but I wish her well. I just wish I her well. You, you know, Tyrell, I wish her well. I don't know how. That was my thing, man. I was like, I don't know how anybody who's it's remotely incredible. familiar with Epstein incredible. could then still throw their hat in with Donald after that. He's line. fighting the deep state. He's playing six D oh. chess. Okay. Yeah. Well, Mike Flynn's got. He's it's got. Like, wait a minute. Um, the, guy, the guy who's in fucking videos dancing, dancing with all the women in Florida with Ghislaine six D chess. And, yeah. And yeah. Uh, Jeffrey in the background laughing and snickering and. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, I know. So, yeah, he flew out to Minnesota, but you're right. Mm -hmm. He was a different version of the Donald then. He was, yeah, still like a Democrat, but he obviously wanted to see how your dad did it. Mm -hmm. And he was, he's always wanted to be a wrestler. I've maintained mm -hmm. that to everyone I talked to that Trump always wanted to be a wrestler without actually doing the work and becoming a wrestler. So, yeah. well, and he used the style of wrestling to yeah. his advantage in, in the debates, you know, and, 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 oh, you know, and it, those that. were amazing. Yeah. Oh, no. I mean, it, it was fucking hilarious. You're very low energy. Low energy, Jeb. I mean, given you know, the nicknames, that's what the body does. You give people nicknames. Yeah. And and I mean, seeing it, never in my life had I ever thought that I would see a comparing of dick sizes literally uh, <laughs> during a debate for president. You know, figuratively, I'd always kind of figured it's it's there, you know, yeah. like everyone. Yeah. You know, look at me. Look how well I throw this football. Yeah. 
You know, like shit like Tyrell, that. He opened the Republican debate with saying, little Marco said that I have small hands. Look at these hands. And he said, if my hands are small, maybe something else is small. Believe me, I never had a problem with it. I never had a problem with Trump Tower Jr. Okay. You know. It happened, though. We saw it happen. It's, it's, it's you know, and, 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 but Trump used it to his advantage. And do I have a memory of that? I, I, I honestly don't. I feel like I was there, but I can't really remember it. Or maybe my mind was just so horrified by the narcissism in the room that it just said, ah, we're going to black that out and turn that into a biodegradable memory. <laughs> I love, what, <laughs> and, and I love what, what, what Jesse said recently. He's like, if I run in 24, how about me and Donald in the cage? He wouldn't show up. He might oh, have bone spurs. He's going to get bone spurs. He won't show up. On, I, I I will be honest and say that that I I would rather and I love my dad to death and I would you know and I love what he's setting out to do in terms of like you know fighting for continuing to fight for third parties and continuing yeah. to do that and maybe yeah. he will run for president again I don't know I can't predict my dad never could um, but I damn I would love to see him debate Donald Trump oh you know I you know That'd be amazing because be Donald amazing. Trump's debate. A bill, what he does is he just becomes the bully, right? And and Washington is not good at handling that kind of bully. But he can't be a bully to my father. No, you know, my, no. my father would crush him, you know, and Trump knows that. And and mark my words, if my dad actually was, if they if it was a shot to see him in the debates, not Donald there. would would never allow Jesse in the debates because he would he would out he would out wrestling promo him. Yeah, and, and, yeah, and, make him, and 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 destroy him. Right, but, but the thing, the difference though between uh, Ventura and Trump is Ventura is a red man. He's a learned man. He's a cosmopolitan uh, revolutionary, a uh, statesman. So he has the bravado and the wrestling background and all that. But that's all complemented with actual research and intelligence and, and being well spoken and eloquent. So, well, what it is is that my dad believes in what he believes, not for the sake of the political winds of it, but because he believes it in his heart. And my dad also has the ability to change his mind on things. Yeah. You know, uh, and, 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 and it's rare you find that in a politician. So whether you agree with Jesse on a particular issue or not, you know that he's speaking from the heart because he believes it's the right thing to do for, for everyone. Uh, not just to get elected or not to be popular or not to make himself feel good because people clap. Um, yeah. You know, he's not out for it for that. And and that's the biggest, you know, difference, I think, when, well, and politically, they're very different on a lot of issues. My dad's far more, well, extremely more socially liberal than, than Donald Trump uh, is. Um, pretends to be. Or pretends to be, yeah. I think I'm being attacked, Tyro, because I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. <laughs> yeah, I'm a, what's your favorite Bible verse, Mr. Trump? Uh, the one about uh, coveting thy daughter and thy neighbor's riches. That's my favorite. <laughs> that one. That's everything. Um, no, he would, I think he would intimidate Donald. And, and, and even my buddy said this. He recently watched uh, Jesse on Rogan years ago and said mm -hmm. even Rogan was kind of like, you know, he was not, not like intimidated, but he felt, you know, like you can feel the presence. You feel the presence, presence. was there. Yeah. 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 You know, and, so, and it's interesting because it, it, I've seen my dad change his views on things, too, which is always a remarkable thing, you know, which is always a cool thing. It's like, you know, my dad has a very strong opinion about the student loan crisis in the sense that, you know, he, he's like, oh, in my day, you find a way to pay the debt. And, and you know, I saw all these rich kids go off and, and use college as an excuse to get out of the draft in my day. So he has kind of a, a preconceived bias against 
not against college and higher education, but, you know, he didn't like the idea of people suddenly coming forward saying, I'll wipe away my loan. It's too much. Mm. But then as it was explained to him what happened, that it was predatory, that what was going on and people who, you know, had a loan through the government, the government then turned around and gave those loans up to private industry, you know, to private you know, creditors and things like that. And suddenly you go to college with a $20,000 loan that then turns into a $60,000 loan and you're Mm -hmm. just trying to catch up and you don't have jobs available to pay well enough to ever be able to pay it off. Um, he's, 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 he's softened his views on that enough to now he has an idea of how to fix it. And that is let's legalize cannabis across the board on a national level, put the same tax that we put on that, that we do on alcohol, use the profits of that tax as a government, and then use that to relieve the, the student loan crisis. And then, and then go one further that anybody who did pay off their student loan will, you know, designate a time frame. let's say in the last 20 years or whatever it might be, but anyone who did and was able to pay off that loan will then give them a credit on their taxes. Tax credit. So that, yeah. that way, everybody's equal then. You know, everybody then can start back at zero and and not feel that they got uh, robbed or shafted or anything like that to where, you know, the people that were able to pay it off, you get something. The people that are, you know, basically slaves to this debt, you don't have to be a slave anymore. And then we can hopefully move forward and 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 build the economy back up again, because I think that's one of the biggest things hurting our economy is the is the debt industry. Oh, it's cri- it's crippling. I mean, yeah. look at the apartment I live in. You know, I mean, it's, it's not. <laughs> look at the stove that we my stove. But uh, no, I mean, hey, that reminds hey, me. That's vintage, man. That's not crippling. That's a vintage still, stove. It still works. <laughs> exactly. Um, <laughs> and that stove will probably end up working a lot longer than a new one. Oh, I mean, the warranty. Something yeah, from once, China. Once that warranty runs out, Tyrell, you better believe it's going to yeah, break. You get, them, you get them new stoves, man. They got that planned oh. obsolescence, baby. We want you oh, buying oh, a new man. one in three years. Oh, you know, yeah, oh, yeah. we have a refrigerator at my parents' lake cabin that they built a house like my grandparents built this hot, this cabin. You know, it's a small little cabin, but there's a refrigerator from the 19 fucking 60s in that cabin that still works. Works great day. too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> like, you know, oh, name, never you know, had a call me a refrigerator today that can last 50 fucking years. <laughs> Not gonna happen, no. But I mean, that what you were saying earlier with the student loan credit reminds me of the uh, of the Jesse checks. That mm-hmm. it was essentially it was the money. It was the taxpayers' money. It's their money. We're not going to just give it to our cronies. We're not going to spend it on this without their permission. We're going to send it back, you know, based on scale and, and what ta- you know tax brackets back to the people. So mm-hmm. I, I don't I don't call that socialism. That just kind of makes sense fiscally because they're going to spend the money and it's going to go back into the economy, right? The economy, yeah, yeah. They're, they're, and and you know we have to remember that 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 we're an experiment. This country and 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 it's I still have- young. Yeah, and and I, I and to me, I look at both sides of that political argument between socialism and, and capitalism, and and what you have to realize is that you can't let one run over the other. Meaning that, like, we've now seen the results of unfettered uh, crony capitalism. You know, like that's a fucking mess. <laughs> Two thousand eight, all of that. You know, like we've seen the extremes of that, and say, okay, well, we can't have it that extreme. Plus, at the end of the day, we do live on a planet with finite resources, and in order for for capitalism to work, you need infinite resources to to work the way it's on paper. So you you do have to rein in certain aspects of capitalism and regulate it to a certain degree. At the same time. There are things that I agree greatly with with socialism, but at the same time, you can't let that go to the other side, to the extreme. You have to find that proper balance between the two, uh, because I very much believe that, that that everybody should have an equal start. 
and and that I and you know maybe I'm this way, but I believe everyone should have an equal start, and you have to make it to where everyone can can legitimately say that they they had an, a, a you know they weren't behind because of like where they lived or or what color their skin is or what their gender is or, or things that like that you can't you you have to especially in comparison to history um you have to allow people an equal chance at the american dream and you have to do what you can to provide that and, and be there for it. and i don't mind my taxes going to something like that um at the same time uh you know you also have to have a reward system for those that do well but i think right now we're so lopsided in those systems that like you know it's ridiculous that jeff bezos doesn't pay taxes you know, yeah. it's, it's, you know the secretary you know, pays more than he does right yeah isn't that the, isn't that you know it, it, there's well, certain things that you get like okay we we need to rein that in a little bit and and we need to we need to find that proper balance and we can't let wall street go unchecked and turn into a gambling establishment which is really what it's become now oh, a, a gambling establishment that's yeah, backed up by our money yeah <laughs> and, and guys like bezos and guys like um Elon Musk, you know, the, 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 it's mythical that they're just self-made men. What, what, it, what it really is, is they got a lot of money from the government, just like mm -hmm. Trump's father did with the housing stuff back in the, you know, 40s and 50s. Yeah. He took advantage of government money. Mm -hmm. That's taxpayer money. Mm -hmm. And that's how they made their fortunes. Yeah, so, there, there's no such thing as a self-made person. Everybody's had help along the way in some capacity, you know, yeah. you know, no matter who you are. you don't, Whether you know, it's from family or from friends or from another you know, anything they could do to, to, to get help. So yeah, there's more nuance to that. Oh, of course. It, it, it's like it, we're talking like, about, it's all grays. We get, you know, you gotta, you gotta recognize the nuance and the grays to everything. Yeah. Because if you have a rigged thing, like we see with wall street and like we see with the revolving door between certain corporations and the government, then that's not really capitalism. Mm -hmm. that, that That's not how capitalism should work. Mm -hmm. So you gotta go back to that kind of Ron Paul version of capitalism. You know, if, if you're going to see it work. You know, let the markets decide. Let the markets decide, but but don't have the markets rigged. You know, at the same time, I do believe in a safety net. I do believe, hey, you know, shit happens in life that you do have no control over. And I'd rather see somebody, I'd rather Absolutely. see my tax dollar going to help somebody too. who had a bad run or, you know, things about beyond their control uh, yeah. than, than go to make more fucking bombs. <laughs> yeah, well, don't, don't break a bone or get a brain tumor because you're going to have to do a GoFundMe. I mean, that's, right. that's, what, that's yeah. what's so fucked up that's, right now. That's an area where I fall out with some of my libertarian friends is uh, I'm still hanging on to Medicare for all, man. I, I believe I believe we could do it. It's life, could, liberty, could, and the pursuit of happiness. Just have found you. This is the foundational part of this whole deal yeah. here in America. Just like war has been foundational, just like you said to everything, without our consent, of course. Mm -hmm. But just that basic foundation that you're not going to go bankrupt or lose your house or lose everything because of a medical emergency or something exactly. happening to you. We just need to make it part of our deal. And, mm -hmm. you know, I'll have that argument with my libertarian friends and that's fine. We agree in a lot of things, but oh, yeah. you know, that's, that's one area where I'm still, oh, I I'm, guess I'm, still, I'm right there with you. Eric, call me a progressive or a lefty. I don't even give a shit what you call me. It's just, I, I believe in it. Yeah. I don't, I don't fall into labels. I never have. I, I, I find when I, when I come across a good political idea or a good, I, you know, a good governmental idea, whatever you want to call it. Um, I take the idea. I don't care where it comes from is like, if I, if I look at it and say, Oh, this could actually help people. Uh, yeah. Great. Right. Not you just more political points, something yeah. that could benefit others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's how I feel. Well, yeah, awesome. I'd rather see my money go towards something that helps people in this country than exporting death and violence and war, like you just said earlier, Tyrell. I, exactly. Yeah, I think most people would agree with that. And mm -hmm. we shouldn't be told 
where our money has to go, obviously, without our consent. But there should at least be an option, like somewhere where we can figure out a system to, you know, if we're going to be taxed at a certain percentage, like, where, where's that money going? You know, yeah, I mean, yeah. like with this Ukraine stuff, it's just going into the pockets of Raytheon executives. Exactly. 30, billion, 30 million a day. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's and, just and, one thing. That, that's not helping our country in any capacity whatsoever. And, you know, we... we we yell and holler about you know guns in our country and things of that nature. Well, Jesus, we're the biggest arms exporter in the world. Oh yeah. You know we 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 export violence. You know what Matt Taibbi was kind of talking about is at one point we also exported like just mindless entertainment, but shit, we haven't even been good at that lately. <laughs> We've been sucking you know? at that. Yeah, you know, <laughs> and, and it seems like now the only thing we're good at exporting is 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 weaponry. Just ask is, the Saudis. Yeah. Yeah. Which yeah. Is three billion dollars in rockets that we just sent them. Yeah. You know, it, Brand- it, Brandon it, had no problem with that. You know, hey, it, on, it's on, truly tragic. And and that to me is the thing. If you ever want, like when people, oh, my side's better than the other side. It's like, yeah, well, why is it that no matter who's president, whether it's Donald Trump or Joe Biden or Barack Obama or George Bush or any of them, why is our foreign policy never change? Never. Always the same. You know, it, yep. it, you know, and, and that's that's the reason why I'm I'm very strongly for a third party in, you know, and in, in fighting for that, you know. Is Andrew Yang's third party going to be the be-all, cure-all? No, of course not. You know, is it? Is it? Does it have a shot? Maybe. You know, I don't know enough of their platform to say whether I'm behind it or not yet. Uh, but at least somebody's trying to do something different. Yeah, you know, I, you know, I asked I, Ron Paul last week about that. I said, "What do you think about the future of third parties?" Because obviously, he did the Ron Paul rally for the Republican. Jesse spoke at that in 08, and uh, he's like, third parties? I'd like there to be a second party." <laughs> So, <laughs> like to your point, you know. True. Yeah. Sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, Tyrell. No, no, no. You're exactly. I mean, that. That. Yeah. Like, you know, so you know. I, I agree, though. I mean, I, I've I've been an independent since the '04 election. I lost all my faith in both parties after I saw clear fraud in Ohio, and Kerry just rolled over. And because I was a big Kerry guy, you know, I was like 17, 18 when he was running, and we worked on his campaign, got him to come to our school. I thought there was a real difference between him and Bush, you know. My brain was was not fully formed yet, but um, but yeah, that's that's why we gravitated towards Ron Paul because he has respect for other, mm-hmm. you know, people. Even they maybe even, you know, vehemently disagree with each other. But but big. Well, at least there's going to be a conversation. You know, at least at least yeah, yeah a, di- a respectful that, dialogue. Yeah, I, I interviewed a great uh, candidate. I've interviewed two candidates on on Jesse's Substack page now. Um, one of them was a, a libertarian. Well. He's not running under the Libertarian Party, but he's definitely more of a libertarian, a, a cat named Bull Johnson. And the one thing I really liked about Bull is that we might not have agreed politically on, on, on certain things, but he's a candidate that's willing to actually have discussions with people that disagree with him to find a better solution. You know, and, and he's somebody who's like, I'm, you know, and, and to me, those are the kind of candidates we need. We need people who who have their belief systems, have their ideology, but also are brave enough to admit that, hey, I might win the election, but that doesn't mean that the people who voted against me, I now have to forget about in my district. Mm. You know, I, if anything, I have to I have to govern the both those that voted for me and those that voted against me. I have to represent both. And so I have to be open to the other side and their ideas. And I have to find a way to meld their ideas with my beliefs or my political ideas and, and try to find that happy medium because that ultimately, I think, that's one of the things that we've lost in our politics right now. We we only seem our politicians only seem to give a shit about the people that vote for them, and then once they're elected, it's like, well, to hell with the other side, and that's on both sides. That's that's not universal to one party over the other. 
um, you, you, you know, you have to remember that, yeah, you're representing everybody, you know, right. and, and so you have to be, you have to be open to finding proper solutions that, that, that appeal or, or, you know, have some benefit to, to all everybody involved, everybody who's, who's uh, in your district or in your state or in the country. Right. Not just the people who got you in there, who cut you a check or who, oh. who's your tribe, you know? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, no, I'm interested in the, um, uh, the Ford party. Andrew was, uh, we sat down with him in 2019 and he had some interesting ideas. So I'd be curious to see, you know, what the platform mm-hmm. is. And, um, uh, obviously looking at the libertarians for 24, um, Dave Smith is, I don't know if you're familiar with him. Um, it's looking like he might be their guy. So he's, mm-hmm. I agree with him on a ton Kind of big picture stuff so yeah I, I can't see myself voting for no i, I don't know who especially I mean, if it's fucking biden and trump it's not gonna, i'm not voting for biden no I'm no not, i'm not, I'm not, not voting, voting for joe biden i'm not voting for biden i'm not voting for trump i'm definitely not voting for DeSantis. uh you know he's like a baby dictator in the waiting uh, you know, like, baby doc, yeah, yeah, baby doc DeSantis, you know, like baby based when that dude's like, you know, oh, you know, there's a lot of cats. I'm just like, mm, he's yeah. Chad, though, he's pretty Chad with Disney. Oh, you know, uh, Harris, I'm not behind, like, Ooh, you know, there, that's there's scary. nobody that's gonna get me to get out of bed for those two parties, you know, right now that I see that's like, mm, you gotta, yeah. you gotta show me a lot, you know. I mean, when Barack ran initially, I was like, okay, I didn't vote. Uh, for him, I always try to vote independent unless somebody really speaks to me. And Brock was one of the few people er, in his first election. I was like, mm, okay, I'm, I could cast a vote for this guy. Like, I think he might he, he might win me over. But then the moment he got elected and said, well, we got to look forward, not back when it came to prosecuting torture. I was yeah, like, oh, exactly. Buddy. Yeah. You know, and then it was like, yeah. a, you know, then the drone war and then things like that. Um, and, you yep. know, they had a chance to keep Roe v. Wade and they didn't, and, you know, back then. And, and, you know, there, there was a lot to be let down by. <laughs> yeah, and he certainly. Oh, he. I mean, I think he killed, did more drone bombings than Bush, which is oh, crazy. Awful. And you uh, know. I, I went McKinney that year. I went Cynthia McKinney in 08. Did you? I was, yeah. Yeah, I went for McKinney. Yeah. I went green that year, Tyrell. Hey, you the, know, it, the, the Greenies wanted me. They were calling my name. Yeah, you, know? you know, they could have had Jesse in 2020, but it was too fractured at that point. Yeah, it sounds like they couldn't yeah. get their shit together, man. That's such a bummer. I was yeah. bummed about that. Yeah. But uh, but that's okay, you know. That life goes on, and then uh, you know the Venturas are still here, and we're we're doing our thing and uh, causing trouble, and 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 we love know, it. Being Venturas, <laughs> Ventura Highway, baby. <laughs> well, Tyrell, thank you so much for coming on, man. Oh, I mean, thank you. Really great to see you and catch up with you. It was it was a real pleasure. Oh, always a pleasure, you guys. Keep up the great work and and have fun out there, and look forward to more impressions. Oh, absolutely. And Tyrell, before we go, tell everybody where they can find your stuff and uh, support you guys and check out what uh, you and the governor are up to. Uh, like I said, man, you can check us out on Substack. Uh, Jesse Ventura's Die Quit or Die First Then Quit, which which came out of his Navy SEAL days, because uh, he believes he's gonna, you know, he's gonna keep talking till he's dead. And so that's the that's it. And, and everything Jesse Ventura is now kind of being funneled through that uh, that site. Uh, so you know, but you also can find us on Twitter and the usual social media spots and things of that nature. But but for for the real hardcore Jesse stuff, uh, definitely check us out on Substack. Uh, you can subscribe for free. You can subscribe and and for 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 a little cash and you know we try to keep it cheap you know five bucks a month or fifty for the year yep. um, and uh, you know because we know times are tough out there but uh, when you if you subscribe for cash you do get some extra bonus content 
you know, you're, you know, and things of that nature. But but we just we just love having the subscribers. So if you want to find all things me and Jesse, that's where we are. That's where we are at. And we got some great stuff in the works. Uh, and I can't wait to uh, to for that to be unleashed on you guys. Yeah, absolutely, awesome. folks. Well, check all that out. And uh, I'm, I'm subscribed to them on Substack, and I read it. And Jackman Radio, this podcast, we are on Substack. So oh, get on yeah. there and subscribe to us. Uh, and if you want to support this channel and Jackman Radio, patreon.com slash Jackman Radio. And I'm on Venmo, uh, Senator Jackman86, if you want to throw us a tip for this or you like what we're doing. So we appreciate everyone tuning in. Tyrell, thanks for your time. Until next time, folks, have a great night. You too.